going to begin reading at verse 12 and read through the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians 3, verse 12, Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech, not as Moses which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished, but their minds were blinded, <coughs> excuse me, for unto this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it, that is the heart, shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Spirit of the Lord, the Lord, now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Did I turn this microphone on? All right, so think about this past scripture. Of course, Moses went up Mount Sinai, got the Ten Commandments, spent 40 days and 40 nights. When he came down, they said the, the brightness or the radiance of his face shone so much that the children of Israel were afraid of him. And so, of course, it revealed the glory of God, and so he put a veil over his face. Uh while he talked with the people. He'd take the veil off when he went in to meet with the Lord. Uh, he was, uh, the word here, uh, the word changed in verse 18, <coughs> is the word metamorphosis, means transformed or transfigured. Uh, Romans 12, 2 talks about being transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, the same idea here is there to change into another form. First uh, Corinthians 15, 51, talking about the resurrection, says we shall all be changed. You know, the rapture of the saints, we're all going to be changed. And uh, we're going to make, make us other than we presently are. Uh, of course, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Now that's talking about a process or continual change in the life of God. And we call it sanctification. And that's really what this passage is about. It's the process of sanctification. So the title of this tonight just being transformed uh, by the Lord. Uh, so let's look to the Lord, Lord in prayer, and then we'll look at three ways we can be transformed. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house this evening. Thank you for the privilege we have to open the Word of God. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts and encourage us and help us, Father, to be sensitive and submissive to the Word of God and the Spirit of God as he directs through his Word to bring about the changes that you desire in our lives that we might please you more and more and be conformed to the image of your dear son. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, God desires from the moment we get saved to transform us into the image of Christ. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, the Bible says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, so from the time we get saved until we go to be with the Lord, the Lord is going to be working in our lives to make him more and more like himself, changing us into his image. And there are three ways the Bible tells us that we are changed, that God brings change into our life. <coughs> I'll deal with the, first, the worst one first, okay? 
chastening. First one is chastening. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 5 through 11, Hebrews 12, verse 5, says, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits, and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness out of them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. So the first thing we see is that we are changed by chastening. God chastens us um, to get us, if need be, to conform to the image of Christ, to change us. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Just like as a father will chasten his child to correct their ways. And this can be expected by saints. In verses 5 and 6 says, Ye have forgotten the exhortation of speech unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. So we can expect this if we are, are the sons of God. And it's, a, it's so we can expect it as saints. You know, even Paul. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. What was it for? Well, the Lord told him what it was for. He said, lest thou be exalted above measure. You know, it would have been, it wouldn't have been easy. It's easy for any of us. I shouldn't say it would have been easy for Paul. It's easy for any of us to become prideful. And Paul's thorn of the flesh, you know, according to history, he looked really ugly. It, it looked really bad, whatever he had. That's, that's according to, you know, some historians say that he, he looked really ugly. It looked, looked really terrible. So he was terrible. And, and in fact, the Corinthians said he was, his appearance was, was mean or a base among them. Um, so he wasn't anything impressive physically. Um, and they say that his affliction only worsened that. But but uh, we are to endure it as sons. Uh, this is, of course, a quote from Proverbs chapter 3, and verses 11 and 12, where it says, as sons, we endure chastening. And, and you notice here, he says, in fact, if you don't endure chastening, you're not his son. You're not his child. Verse 7 and 8 says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom his father chasteneth not? If ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. Um, furthermore, we have fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? So our Lord, 
who delights in us, Proverbs 11, uh, 3, 11, 12 says that he delights in us, uh, chastens us to help us to con be conformed into the image of his son. It's to be experienced for sanctification. You can notice here in verses 10 and 11, again, this is to bring about change. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but afterward, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Now, so God chastens us for our profit to make us again more like Christ, to perfect or be partakers of his holiness. It's not pleasant. It's usually, it's always a grievous thing, but it yields fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. You know, some people become bitter over it. I've often heard this. It's sort of like when I was in school. And, and you're schooling, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, of course, in public school days, nowadays, if you don't pass the test, they just send you on anyway. But, but, you know, when I was in school, if you didn't pass the test, guess what? Yeah, take it again. If you didn't pass the grade, yeah, take it again. Um, and if you don't pass the test, if you don't conform to the image of a son, if you don't, if you don't obey the word of God and and receive His chastisement and be exercised thereby, you can expect more chastening. And so that's why He says, "Wherefore lift up the hands of hang down. Don't be discouraged by being chastened." And the feeble knees, you know, don't be discouraged by it. Make straight paths. You know, I'm reminded again of what um, Chris Shaw's pastor told him when he was very discouraged. You know, at one point in Greenland, and he called, and he actually wept over the phone, and his pastor said, Chris, hang up the phone, step out of the booth, and put one step in front of the other. Make straight paths for your feet. And God began to provide for what seemed like impossible situations um, so we have to be exercised thereby and uh, uh, you know, <laughs> you know it, just like our children you know we chasten our children and we expect change you know, somebody said everything in our homes is controlled by switches except the children nowadays you know uh, you know we when we chasten them we, we do that to because we're expecting change. And God chastens us, and he expects us to change. And he desires us to change, to please him. And it is for our good. It's for our profit. Secondly, we can be uh, transformed by crucifying the flesh. Galatians 2.20 says, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. But Christ liveth in the me, and life I now live in the flesh. I live by the Son of God, which gave himself for me. Uh, so we, we must crucify the flesh. And there's three things I want to think, speak about. First of all, that requires a denial of self. Crucifying the flesh requires a denial of self. You know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9.27, I bring my body into subjection. In other words, I deny my fleshly lusts. I bring my body into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. So I bring my body under control. I deny my 
passions and my desires. There, was a lot, there were some things that Paul gave up uh, for the ministry that he had. One of them was a wife. He was not married. I don't know if he was ever married. We don't, never, don't know that for sure, but, but you know, he, he, he wasn't married. Uh, <coughs> so there were, there were pleasures of life that he gave up. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, he said, I die daily. Galatians 6, 14, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I am crucified. Um, that's not how it goes. Trying to remember how Galatians 6, verse 14. God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So he had denied himself things in life that he could have had that were okay, but he denied himself for his ministry and his service to the Lord. You know, there are times that we need to deny ourselves the things of this world. Things that we can do without. For the, for the cause of Christ. Um, you know, the world, world's philosophy is we've got to have everything we want right now. You know, we've got to have the latest, we've got to have the latest technology, we've got to have the latest cars, we've got to have the late, everything the latest, you know, everything just like our parents have it when they're older. No, no we, don't, we can deny ourselves these things. Uh, many of the things that we, many people think they have to have are not needs, they're just wants. So there was a denial of self, so we, we need to deny ourselves. Secondly, there must we must reckon ourselves to be dead, or, or I just call this death to sin. In Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, he says, Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. So we have to make a choice. This is really what this is. It says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. The word reckon means to declare. Declare it dead. Declare the old man dead. Declare the sin in your life dead. And it involves a choice. You know, talk to somebody just last week, and you know, and what it boils down to in life, they just they just got to make some choices. They get they just got to determine they're going to do what's right. It's all a matter of choice, and as long as they won't make that choice, they won't commit to a choice. Guess what? Sin's going to reign. Sin's going to reign in their life, and so we have to be death to sin. Psalm 97.10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. Romans 12.9, Abhor that which is evil, lead to that which is good. You know, in Revelation 2.2, one of the things that the Lord commanded the church at Ephesus for was, that thou canst not bear them which are evil. Canst bear them. And that was a good thing. So you, ought to, you ought to not bear that which, or put up with that which is evil. And of course, it was talking about others, but we ought not to bear evil in our own lives. Uh, Spurgeon said this, faith, faith check book, let no evil remain. 
so, so there has to be a death to sin, a denial of self, and then there needs to be dedication to the Savior. Uh, of course, Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy of God, you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service, and be not conformed to this, will be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you need to present yourself a living sacrifice. You need to be dedicated uh, to him, have devotion for the Lord. In Jeremiah 29, verses 11 through 13, Prophet Jeremiah says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. You see, the key is here. He said, you're going to find me when you search with all your heart. Your Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, and they shall be filled. So there has to be a desire a hunger, a devotion to please the Lord. That's part of crucifying the flesh. Crucifying the flesh. So we can be, we can be transformed by uh, chastening, crucifying the flesh. And then thirdly, the best way is simply conforming. Romans 8.29 says, uh, that we'd be conformed, um, yeah. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So God wants us to conform to himself. Now, again, this requires several things. First of all, Honesty with the scriptures. Uh, here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, 2 Corinthians 3, 3.18 it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So the idea is that I have an open face. In other words, I, I've got a heart, a will that's open to do what the Lord's, and we look into the, the glass and see the glory of the Lord. When we look into the word of God, it's a mirror. James 1 tells us it's a mirror. It's like a mirror. And, and so when we look into that, we ought to conform to what we see there in the word of God. We ought to pattern our life after what we see and what we read in the word of God. James chapter 1, verse 22, says, Be ye not doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For any man be a hearer of the word, and not doer, he is like unto a man, beholding his natural face in the glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth his way, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed. In his deeds. So again, the idea here is we look into the mirror of the word of God. It is the perfect law of liberty. Now people would say, 
people call us, people like us, legalists. That we we're bound, you know. We 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 just got these high standards that we just need to liberate ourselves. Charles the Swindler, I mean Charles Swindoll, uh, wrote a book called Grace Awakening, and basically all he did was tear up the idea that the Bible teaches standards, that there are no standards, that we're we are joy killers. You know, no. We're just striving to please the Lord. There's nothing legalistic about having a dress standard if it's, a, if it's for sanctification purposes. If you're trusting that for your salvation, then you are a legalist. But if you're doing that because you just want to please the Lord and you're out of your devotion for the Lord because he saved you and you want to conform to the image of Christ, that's called sanctification. That's what that is. And so as we see things in the word of God, no matter what it is, we need to be honest with scriptures and obey what the word of God says. Psalm 119, verse 9. Uh, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. And verse 11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So we need to, be, to, to honestly uh, conform to the scriptures. That requires, secondly, humility of self. It requires a humility of self. Uh, Paul said this in Romans 7, 18. Oh, wretched man that I am. Now, there are some commentators that say that they think Paul wrote that before he got saved. I don't think so. I don't know how they can say such a dumb thing. Uh, but no, he didn't. He was talking about the, 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 the natural man that, that was still in him and that desired to displease the Lord and, and that didn't want to please the Lord. And he said, you know, my, my, my natural man is wretched. God be honest, it's wretched. It's wretched. One old preacher said, humility is just being honest with yourself. That's all it is. Being honest with yourself. He said, for I know that in me dwelleth no good thing. Jeremiah 17, 9. Um, well, I'm forgetful tonight. The heart of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And look at James chapter 4. This is really what this whole uh, first part of chapter uh, James chapter 4 is all about. Is being <coughs> humble before the Lord or honest with the Lord. He says from James 4, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? So what's it saying? Your members are lustful. In other words, they have evil desires. You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss. And the word, the idea of asking amiss is you're, you're asking it, that, well, he, he defines it here, that you may consume it upon your lusts. In other words, you're just asking something to fill your own lustful desires. fellow said one time, pray that I get a raise at work. And I said, why do you want a raise? Is it just because you want to live higher or you want to give more of the Lord's work? You know, is it just to consume it upon your own lusts? Or do you want to please the Lord more and more? 
Uh, verse 4, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think, as the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the pride, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter return to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. <clears throat> you know, of course, it talks here about uh, them being fighting and wars among them. And you know, we mentioned the other night that, that you know, of course, that's contention. Where's contention come from? It comes from pride. Not being honest with ourselves. You know, God says that we need, we, need, you know, we, need to, we need to have humility of self. Just be honest with ourselves before the Lord. Um, so, the, so there must be honesty with the scriptures. There must be harm, uh, humility of self. And then thirdly, there must be harmony with the spirit. Notice in verse, uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verses 16 and 17, it says, Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. You know, when you obey the spirit of the Lord as he directs according to the word of God, you're not going to find bondage and legalism. What you're going to find is liberty. You're going to find liberty. Why is it? That a thief always tries to hide himself. Is there any liberty to a thief? Even if he isn't in jail? No. There are places he will not go. Because he does not have liberty to go there or freedom to go there because he may get apprehended. Why? Because he's guilty. He's guilty. Now, when we obey the word of God, we have liberty with our Lord. We have access with the Father. There is liberty. You know, when one of my children is, has been disobedient to me, there's not liberty between us. You know, there's no joking back and forth when there's a problem. When they've done wrong. Yeah. So, many of you children have probably heard this saying from your mom. You just wait till your dad gets home. <laughs> you know, one of mine said one time, I gave them a choice. They could either have a, a whooping, or it was going to be, they were getting a little older, so, so there was going to be a prolonged, kind of drawn out punishment. They hate that worse than anything because it's bondage, you know. So, no, I want to just get it over with, you know. I don't care how bad it hurts, just get it over with. Why? It's, you know, the, it, it, really what you're doing when you're, when you're, when you're uh, correcting a child, you're, you're freeing his guilty conscience and bringing him back into liberty. So there's harmony with the Lord 
when we obey the Lord, there's liberty there. We have freedom to serve the Lord. There's no liberty living in disobedience or uncertainty. And you know, of course, the Spirit of God leads us according to the Word of God. And uh, God's Word will do many things for us if we just simply obey it. Uh, it brings health, fruitfulness, prosperity. Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, or sitteth in, sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither. God's word cleans us. Ephesians 5.26 By the washing of the water, by the word. Uh, uh, the word, word of God hid in our hearts keeps us from sin. Psalm 119 verse 11 Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. God's word is a counselor. You know, when we delight in God's word, it becomes a rich source of counsel and guidance for us. Psalm 119, verse 24 says, Thy testimonies are my delights and my counselors. God's word is a source of strength. Psalm 119, verse 28, My soul melteth for heaviness. Strengthen thou me according to thy word. God's word imparts life. It's a continual source of life. Proverbs 4.22 says, For they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. John 6.63, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. God's word is a source of illumination and guidance. Psalm 119.105, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. And verse 130 says, The entrance of thy words giveth light, it giveth understanding unto the simple. You know, even a simple guy like me can understand the word of God. Uh, God's word gives peace to those that love it. They are secure. Uh, Psalm 119, verse 165 says, Great peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You know, hearing God's word is essential to eternal life. James 5, 24, He that heareth my word is passed from death. Unto life. You know, abiding in or living in God's word is evidence of true discipleship. John 8 31, Jesus said to the Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And of course, it is the means of sanctification. John 17 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And, of course, hearing God's words builds faith, Romans 10, 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, you know, we have the word of God and the spirit of God to teach us the word of God. And it works effectively or effectually in those that believe. And that's the key. Believe. We have to believe it. Now, to believe it means we have to be willing to act upon it. You know, Paul wrote to Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, he said this, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh, worketh also in you that believe. See, the word of God works 
It is quick and alive, quick and powerful, and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. See, the Word of God is not dead. It's not like any other book. It is living. It's active. It's sharper. Uh, it, it, it cuts like a surgeon's scalpel. To get rid of the diseased part in your life and mine. So, you know, we need to we need to conform. We need to be honest with the scriptures. We need to be have humility of self, and we need to live in harmony with the Spirit as He leads us according to the Word of God. You know, we're changed. As we look into the glass of the glory of the Lord, the Spirit of God is going to use that to bring about change in our life if we're willing, if we will believe His Word. You know, God wants us to continually to conform to His Word. And we should be continually growing in our walk with the Lord. That's what sanctification is. And it's progressive. It's progressive. Like I said, when in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. As long as you're walking and breathing in this life, God's going to be working in your life if you're his child to make you more and more like our Lord Jesus, that we may please him and glorify him and our pilgrimage here on earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. Thank you for the challenge it gives to us, and thank you for the promises that we find therein. I pray, Father, that you help us uh, to allow you to work in our lives, to bring about the transformation that you desire, a new creature in Christ Jesus, prepared unto every good work. So, Lord, just help us. Give us grace and strength. Help us just to be faithful. Although we see many around us today falling away, Father, help us to stand true to the word of God and look to thee for guidance and direction day by day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.